0: And the shift daily podcast, the Pandora papers are revealed the richest people in Canada are using tax havens to protect their money. So Michael Smart, professor of economics at the University of Toronto joins the shift and tells us how tax havens work and why they're contributing to income equality. We also talk about how we also want to be on that list. Does mercury retrograde actively impact your day-to-day life? Dave Scott from Space. Radio shares his skepticism on the topic. This is a guy who loves Sasquatch and he's skeptical. He also dives into some of the biggest Canadian UFO stories in recent memory. And are you okay with spending money? Apparently, we're too cheap. This is The Shift Podcast. Are you okay? Well, we've been talking about an awful lot of money. Here on The Shift, are you okay with spending money? I love spending money. Wait yeah
1: way too much. It's just so exciting and fun, and every day can feel like Christmas if you're waiting on a package to come, right? I love it.
2: I'm usually <laughs> not okay with spending money, even when i as I say when I need it, oh, this is filled with guilt. This is like know really? oh, oh, I, I didn't I needed that, but I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have yeah, bought I that could... loaf of bread.
0: yeah, I could live without bread this week. Could have made it. See,
1: I could live without my Kanye West Crocs, but I wear them oh, all yeah. the time and I love them. So yeah. at least you're not in my shoes, Brendan, literally.
0: <laughs> the I, whole I, world could live without Kanye West Crocs.
2: Yeah. I just got to pay less or whatever took pay less this place.
0: <laughs> I did try to find the uh, Kanye West Crocs on um, like some knockoff Amazon. Like, I tried.
1: Yeah, I think they took them off. They got, they There's got, there a bunch got, of them on there. Yeah, there,
0: yeah, definitely. There was a bunch. Okay, um, we've heard this before. Got to spend money to make money. <laughs> you know, we'd also heard before was I don't pay attention to monetary policy <laughs> and budgets balance themselves. Well, tell you what, my finances are evidence that budgets do not balance themselves. So, spending money to make money, absolutely the case when it comes to lottery. You got to spend the money on the ticket. To make the money on the prize. Just so happens that there was a massive lot of prize on the line in the US recently. Here's more from KBSY
3: News. If you're feeling lucky, there's a chance to win a life changing amount of money tonight. Tonight's Powerball drawing is worth an estimated $670 million. That's the biggest lottery prize in more than eight months. This is after the jackpot rolled over again on Saturday after there was no winner. Powerball has been rolling over for months with the last jackpot hit in June. If someone wins tonight, they could take home a lump sum of $475 million before taxes.
0: $475 million. There's a tax tax haven. Yeah. You have to pay taxes on that in the States. So, Um, But still, I mean, that would be an okay tax check. A man in Shreveport, Louisiana... Louisiana didn't win the lottery. He did, however, win a different kind of prize, some laughter. The man, identified only as James, was being interviewed by Corey Johnson of KSLATV, a CBS affiliate in Shreveport, when he was a little blunt about what he would spend the near $700 million prize on.
4: What are you going to do with that money if you win?
2: Well, I'm definitely going to get a new supercharged Mustang with dual exhaust and about five kilos of cocaine. And I'll be good to go. Okay, so you like cars. You like yeah. cars. Yeah, so you like cars, do you? <laughs> oh, geez. It's more than a little bump. That's, yeah. yeah a that's lot a, that's going a, on there. Now that's a I vaccine you bump.
1: Could, you could say he was revved up and ready to go about that, eh? Holy.
0: Can we just acknowledge the fact that at least he's it? if that's what he's going to do with it? Because so many people, they win the lottery and they're like, yeah, I'm going to be responsible. And then six months later, they're broke. This guy's like, oh. he's going to have his car.
1: Yeah. He'll get his car. I, if I won $400 million, I would take all of my best friends and we would just live in Vegas for like a month.
0: Hmm. Really? Really, Vegas? Oh, yeah. Why Vegas? So, did we fall uh, in the best friend circle in this yeah, story? Or no? Before, in, I, yeah, before
2: yeah, I'm critical yeah, yeah, of you. guys you. can come down. Okay, I can, get really? it done.
1: I can swap right. hotels. There's indoor roller coasters. I could see Morrissey every weekend because he has ah. a residency there. Oh, uh, yes. yeah, I don't want to go to
2: Vegas. I could go though.
1: to the dam Hoover dam and I've never been to Vegas. So there you go.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Great plan. Right. For your $400 million. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if, what would you, Brendan, what would you spend your money on if you won the $400 million? <coughs> I
2: mean, I don't even know. I uh, I would go a few places. <laughs> it's difficult now these days, but I would travel if I had, if I was allowed. I would travel a few places. Um, other <laughs> than that, I would uh, probably try to make several investments. Uh, Maybe start a small business of some sort and continue to live frugally, probably in the exact same place that I am because I have a pretty good discount on rent and just pretend that I don't really have it and shop at Value Village.
0: Well, um, $400 million could get you a nice half a duplex in downtown Vancouver, so that'd be a good start. Yeah, I'd probably do that. could start there, right? That's all right. But your party skills, I mean, careful. Someone's going to pin a tail on you (laughs) with your party plan here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. $400 million. I like, yeah, I think that you? it's, I don't know. I, I think it's cool. I, I mean, I would probably buy the apartments. I'd buy the real estate and, and, you know, get the one in, in the, Hwiwi and probably wanted Victoria. I love it there. You know, probably wanted Banff um, and stuff like that. That's, that's the kind of stuff I would do. I mean, if I, I mean, I don't even know if I'd finish the week on the radio show, I'd come back as a guest. it would be like, yeah, I'm that free would on Thursday. I would that would out.
1: be a really tough question. Uh, you know, you won the lottery. Okay. Can we get two weeks out of you before you quit?
0: Probably not. <laughs> there is a, there's a nice island for sale in um, Sprout Lake and, uh, you know, just outside Port Alberni. I think that would be a great place to go for, uh, you know, spend us some money mm. and we uh, would be all right. I mean, I don't know. I just, that's an awful lot of money to think about. I I, I would take it on. And you know what I would do? The first thing I would do is I would find an offshore bank account and I would have my own Pandora papers release. I would like I would I would think on myself and be like, "Hey, here you go media. Here's all my offshore bank accounts because I finally made the list. It's like the Pandora papers has become the new Forbes list. We're all struggling oh, for it."
1: I like that. We could just call this the dumpster fire list or something Ooh, like that. We have to, that's good. you know, got trademark it.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, now less fun. Are you okay? Are you okay with Hallmark holiday swag sales? I I, I, I don't I never like got the Hallmark it. holiday.
1: I yeah I don't Valentine's Day. If it's for Valentine's Day, you know maybe buy a, a, a you know one little trinket, but it's more about the dinner and the experience or whatever you get up to. But like Easter or uh, even Halloween, any any of these holidays that hallmark likes to latch onto there are other places to go to get things for that holiday and nine times out of ten you don't really need stuff for a holiday
0: i don't even like the cards i like i think a poorly written sticky note that says hey you're cool is better than spending seven dollars on a card
1: yeah what about like really nice cards from like papyrus and stuff like that like ones that are really nice and like have nice art and stuff no
0: But no, it's way too much money. Maybe you're $400 million, you know, go to the dollar store, $1, get a nice card. Yeah. You're getting,
1: okay, you're getting a a sticky note card from now on.
2: Sweet. Love it. You're getting a sticky note. You're both getting a sticky note card from me. You know that, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally do. Absolutely.
2: Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. It's probably just a text actually that says happy (laughs) day.
0: Happy day to you. I spent 10 cents on this when you used to pay for text messages. Okay, um so I don't like the holidays, the the fake uh holidays that we just sort of market and sell. And it seems like there's more of these going on, right? Like we look at some of these uh marathons, half marathons, these run days, these colorful paint days. You know, it's it is I think it's a cultural appropriation from some of the things that go on in India and in that culture, celebrating color and, and those festivals. So there are all kinds of things that get stolen. And then we make them be, you know, these super amazing, look what I did. I ran through the paint day. And when really there's some cultural significance for many people with those things. And this, this sucks when people take full advantage of that stuff. Thousands of Canadians wore orange shirts, sweaters, and jackets to mark the first national day for truth and reconciliation last Thursday. Unfortunately, there are some who think this can be marketed just like a normal Hallmark holiday. It's true. Orange Shirt Day has been around for almost a decade. In that time, orange shirts have become a symbol of recognition of the harms caused by the residential school system. Support for survivors, indigenous groups have been using unique designs to help fundraise and further the cause uh, for reconciliation. Even that Facebook logo, right, that was put on Facebook, you know, the guy who drew that, it was hard to find the artist because other companies had taken that drawing, and basically used it as their own, right? So it's people are pinching stuff left and right. Orange shirts have also been popping out in various online stores, though, with the design stolen outright, just literally taken by people apparent, apparently looking to just profit off of this day. Here's more from John Waugh.
5: There are some who are stealing the powerful symbolism of these shirts and trying to sell them for pure profit. We have no idea who's selling them or you know, what what the funding is being used for. Making matters even worse, some of the designs stolen directly from Indigenous artists. When people are just taking people's art and slapping it on a t-shirt and selling it, then no one can answer that question about what, what does the design actually mean. The Orange Shirt Society has provided a list of partner retailers including major names like London Drugs and Hudson's Bay. So there you go. For smaller campaigns like that of Tina Taphouse, legitimacy can be confirmed through conversation.
2: That's what I find amazing about this, is to be able to have conversations with people.
5: Hard to imagine some would see these prints symbolic of truth and reconciliation and use them to repeat a pattern of harm. John Hua, Global News.
0: It's incredibly disturbing that... I guess some people are so naive, they just go and steal it, whatever. But you see this all the time online. You see these, even some mega big companies coming at small this independents that, you know, plant trees for every t-shirt that's been sold. People who are just trying to make a difference. And these big companies will steal their stuff. It's absolutely disturbing.
2: I
1: just Art. don't understand. Sorry, just one point I want to make. I don't understand where the thought process comes in before somebody decides to steal that design. And and take the money and just go. Well, yeah, ignorant. I'm okay with doing this.
0: It's very it's ignorant. They don't even think they they think they see it as opportunity opportunity yeah. and they don't think that there's a meaning behind it. That's what it is. So screw It's up. just it's I, it, if you want to be generous, you could call it naive, but it's ignorant and greedy. And this is where it drives me crazy when people say, "Oh, capitalism's so terrible." No, capitalism is not terrible. Capitalism inspires. Greed is not capitalism. Greed is greed, not to be forgotten. I want to get one more here. Are you okay? Are you okay with nuts? Nuts? Nuts.
1: Oh, nuts? Yeah. I just devoured a peanut butter bagel that just was fantastic. And coming as someone who lost the ability to have peanuts and you have it back, it's a good time. Love it.
2: Mm. Yeah, family allergy. When I'm like getting really wild, I have unsalted. Yeah,
0: she is. Whoa. Wild and out. <laughs> Holy cow. I can't keep up with you anymore, Brennan I, Kelly. I know. A fruit with a good source of fiber, they also make the best kind of butter. It's no wonder why squirrels try to stash lots of them away for the winter. They usually do this in trees, but not this squirrel. No, the squirrel in this story found a far more unconventional place to stash his secret supply of nuts in someone's truck. The squirrel grabbed hundreds of nuts, all about the size of lemons. Those are big nuts, and hid them all over this poor guy's truck. About 190 liters worth of nuts. I did not know you could measure in nuts in liters. Here's more from WDAY News.
3: A lot of places inside the radiator fan, all the way through here. This is that corn's been covered full with walnuts
4: as the winter storage hideout for hundreds of nuts each about the size of a small lemon. It was planning
2: on camping there for the winter.
4: Bill has cleaned out 42 gallons of black walnuts from his truck in every crack and crevice of his avalanche. The engine compartment, fenders, nothing is off limits.
3: I had to pull the fenders off and clean all the walnuts out. I thought I had them all, took it down the road, turned the corner, and I found one rolling inside the windshield cowl where the wipers go.
4: Bill's dog, Asher, is beside himself. That pesky little red squirrel seems to taunt him. And to think this just happened over a few days, the truck was parked.
3: It's one red squirrel that's doing this as far as going into the pickup.
4: Bill got most of the black walnuts out, but a few are not retrievable.
3: I have some rolling around inside the frame rails as well that I can't get that. Can you hear it? I can hear them, yes.
0: One might say it's driving him nuts. Oh. All right. The number of collected nuts could produce almost 200 jars worth of peanut butter if they were peanuts. Not even Ryan could eat that much peanut butter. And he loves peanut butter. I could in a year. Not oh, yeah. over a winter. That's some squirrel
1: numbers there. I can't match that. But give me a year and I'll do it. I'll gain 300 pounds, but I'll do it. Four jars. A week.
2: This is the Shift Podcast.
0: I don't know if you heard the news over the last a couple of days. A few years ago, there was the Panama Papers, and now there's the Pandora Papers. Dun 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 We hear this conversation about all these rich people hiding their money, put it in an offshore bank account. We've heard about it from movies and all those things. And I don't know about you, but I often think about. I hope there's a time in my life where I have enough money that I need an offshore bank account. I think that'd be cool. But it scares me to think that someone else has my money and I don't even know what country it's in. But maybe that's just my way of thinking because I don't have three, four, five million dollars kicking around. Michael Smart's with University of Toronto. He's uh, an economist and understands all these economics things to help us understand what's going on. Michael Smart, thank you very much for sharing your time with us so generously here on The Shift. I appreciate it. Happy to be here, Shane. So... Let's start with the basics. Pandora Papers hack documents of people who are hiding money and moving money. We need to understand some pieces of this are legal. Some pieces of it are gray area and some pieces of it are flat out illegal. How do we as the non-needing offshore bank accounts people understand what's going on, Michael?
4: Well, you're absolutely right, Shane. Uh, This is a massive dump of documents. We're all still trying to understand what's in there, but the basics are pretty clear. These are details, confidential details that someone got somehow about um, thousands of transactions involving these offshore banking centers and offshore bank bank accounts. Basically, we're talking about tax havens uh, here. They could be little islands in the Caribbean. They could be little islands off the coast of Europe. And they can be places right here in North America. There's certain jurisdictions where it's pretty easy to do this stuff right at home, as a matter of
0: fact. So I kind of hear this, and maybe this is too simplistic. I hear this as Michael and I, we had a new endeavor, and we made some money in a in a different country that doesn't track money quite the same way. So we took our earnings and we put it into an account where nobody in Canada and Canada Revenue really knows about it yet. And we're just going to kind of leave it there. And then if we wanted to bring it to Canada and buy a house, then we'd probably have to pay tax on it then. But in the meantime, we don't have to pay tax on it, and we could move it to other places that we don't have to pay tax either to make more money. Is that too simplistic?
4: Well, Shane, legally, I'm not allowed to give you tax advice, (laughs) but be careful if you're going that route, because... You must pay, if you're a Canadian resident, you must pay tax in Canada on your income, no matter where it's earned in the world. That's for individuals. We'll talk later about corporations. Canadian corporations get a better deal. They don't have to pay tax on everything they earn in tax havens. But you and I, if we have a bank account there, we should be reporting everything we earn. And we're not just talking about bank accounts, of course, all kinds of more exotic investment vehicles. We should report our income there and let CRA decide whether we owe tax uh, here at home. Yeah. So, um, you know, in reality, do uh, Canadians and others who uh, invest into these, these offshore centers, are they reporting everything back home? We don't know. We suspect that they're not. There might be um, a significant amount of tax evasion going on. Even the Canada Revenue Agency estimates that only about 25, maybe 50 percent of Canadians that have those accounts tell the truth about what they've got uh, in them. So, yeah, there is some tax evasion uh, going on through those centers. But as your question suggested, I, there's a lot of other reasons why money is flowing into uh, these centers. It's not all about tax evasion.
0: Well, I think that you said it right there. Uh, my, the hairs on the back of my neck went up when you said, let Canada Revenue decide, right? And that's what most Canadians will go, ah, I don't want to let revenue Canada decide, right? I want to tell revenue Canada what I'm doing and then not give them any more info. I think that's a pretty normal view on how many people look at taxes in general. So it must be appealing for people to do this.
4: Well, tax havens are not for you and me, as you know, Shane, uh, the, the people who are involved in these transactions, uh, are not what you or I, or I think a lot of your listeners would call the little guy uh, going up against CRA. These are highly wealthy individuals or large corporations who are engaged in these activities. And, um, you know, I think that might change the attitude of the average Canadian uh, to what's going on here. And they might want to know, you know, a few things about it. Just how much money is there? How rich is rich in Canada? Well, you know, if we we don't know everything about people's wealth holdings, and we can't even measure how much inequality there is in our country, how wealthy the the wealthy truly are. And we can't be sure that they're paying their fair share of taxes. Each of us individually, I suppose, uh, you know, wants to pay the, the smallest amount of tax that they legally can. That sounds reasonable to me, maybe to your listeners. But I think we all want the system to run fairly. And if certain people have access to these offshore centers, the rest of us don't, that might challenge your notion of fairness, wouldn't it?
0: It would challenge the notion of fairness. That's a very good political answer. You're good. Um, okay, since we're going to not get political, I'm going to ask a political question and, and with no intention of you answering politically, but I think it seems obvious. In the, in the election that we just had in Canada, Michael, there was one platform that said, we're going to tax the rich. We're going to tax them more. They're going to help pay their fair share. Now, that's not going to happen when the government can't even find the money, is it? So, I mean, it almost, based on the current structure, um, doesn't even seem possible, does it? Well, look,
4: I think tax evasion is something we should worry about, but I don't think it's that big a problem uh, in Canada. We have a system that works pretty well. And, you know, we have a CRA that works pretty well. There are a few gray areas or, you know, hard to tax areas. And for sure, offshore financial centers is one of them. Now, not just Canada, but the whole global community is, is acting on these, these little tax havens as, as, you know, we used to uh, call them um, and uh, trying to bring them into line, uh, trying to get uh, countries like the Cayman islands, Bermuda, Barbados is a favorite one for rich Canadians, by the way, um, trying to get them to give us the rest of the world, more information about what money is there and who really owns that money. And, um, you know, it's a long process. It's, it's a difficult process. It's like playing whack-a-mole, right? I mean, mm. if you get one of these tax havens to start playing ball, what's to stop the money from moving to the next Island down the chain. So, I, I, you know, I, I think we should recognize that the world is trying to make a fair tax system, making sure that the truly wealthy are paying their fair share of taxes. It's a hard process. And, um, and, um, you know, this will continue, but I, I think that we can all have, um, I don't know, Shane. I mean, you know, your politics might be different, but the thing that I emphasize is we're not talking about ordinary Canadians engaging in these, these activities. Uh, it's a very specialized group of people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's, it's hard to sit with it. Cause I, I kind of sit with it and go, well, if I could afford to have the best accountant in the world and the best or best accountant in Canada and the best lawyer in Canada, and I could afford it, why wouldn't I use their skills to protect my money. I mean, I, I would love to say that I wouldn't be a hypocrite if I fell into $50 million, Michael, but I'm willing to bet that if my 50 million becomes a hundred million or my 50 million becomes 30 million, if I hire the right people, wouldn't all of us kind of choose that? And I think that that's kind of the crossroads where most of us sit here now and say, yeah, damn right, pay your share. But at the same time, you're like, won the lottery. What am I going to do? Right? It's a bit of a crossroads. You're absolutely right.
4: Uh, the, Tax lawyers like me, we talk about two different terms. We talk about tax evasion, which is the illegal stuff. And then we talk about tax avoidance, which is just doing the best you can for yourself inside the rules. It's not illegal, um, but of course it does, if, if if only some of us can get access to these kind of special deals and these, these uh, top-notch accountants, then not everybody has the same access to tax avoidance. So the first one, tax evasion is illegal. If you have money, um, if you get income, in these offshore jurisdictions you should report it to canada revenue agency but you might not and they might not find out about it to me we should all agree that that's a problem and we should you know help governments track these transactions better it's not just about taxes it's about corruption too as i think you know it's about all the reasons why you know Uh, You might want excessive people might be looking for excessive secrecy. Uh, You know, one example that came up in these Pandora papers is the King of Jordan Mm -hmm. um, has used offshore financial centers to make investments in real estate around the world. King of Jordan is the King. He doesn't pay taxes in Jordan. He's not trying to uh, minimize his taxes. He's trying to minimize scrutiny of what he's doing. And so, you know, there are these other issues around these places we should recognize. That's not, um, that typical here in Canada, but ar- around the world, the main reason I believe that money goes into these tax havens is um, a corruption or illegality of one kind or another. It's just avoiding scrutiny. So, I don't. I don't think um, it doesn't matter what your attitude is to taxes or to the tax man. I think you can see that you know there's there, there's something um, unsavory about uh, these these uh, big ticket transactions uh, now. You know, you're right. There are other good business uh, reasons why you might want to set up there. Uh, you might be doing business from Canada to Germany to pick up an example you were you were talking about before, Shane. Mm-hmm. And, then you, and then you realize, you know, you got an accountant who tells you, well, you could do business in Germany, but it'd be much better if you had a company in Barbados or in the Caymans that was doing business in Germany instead. And that's not illegal. It's not tax evasion. It's just standard issue tax planning by corporations around the world uh, today. That's what Apple does. That's what Google does. And they find ways to make sure that they don't pay tax uh, in Germany because of that. And they don't pay tax, of course, in the Caymans either. So, you know, again, it's how you feel about this. Apple and Google, they're not breaking the law, for sure. You know, they're not, uh, they're not doing anything illegal there. But we should still, you know, look at those transactions and realize just how much money is flowing in that direction and ask, well, you know, should tax be paid somewhere by those corporations? Why should they get a better deal than the rest of us to be able to, uh, you know, work in Germany and not pay tax? If you and I can't do it, why should Google and Apple be allowed to do it? That's how I see it. I, I do see it as a fairness issue yeah. uh, here and a transparency issue. It's just something we should all understand better than we do.
0: Well, I look at the local startups, right? You've got some technology guy who's built an amazing search engine, and he's trying to, you know, start up in. Vancouver or Winnipeg or whatever and the reality is is that he's got to pay full tilt on taxes while the the monster he's trying to the David and Goliath if you will that he's trying to take down is uh, not playing by the same rules he's not playing by a great example of that was Spotify Spotify started in a place where the music rules were different for licensing so they could become big enough to get the leverage to do it in the places where the rules weren't in their favor, right? I mean, that's pretty good and the business. the tax rules were different
4: there too. They yeah. got a better tax deal because of where they were located.
0: Yeah, and so like, so that's a lot of people say that's just good business though, Michael, but what's the impact on on the wreck? Because if you and I, if we created a business and we did it that way, we'd be like, we're geniuses. So what's the impact on the rest of us?
4: Well, so what do we have to worry about here? We have to worry about lost tax revenue, but I don't think that's a particularly big deal. Canada Revenue Agency thinks they only lose $2 billion, maybe $3 billion a year through people hiding income in these tax havens and not reporting it in Canada. You know, maybe they're lowballing it, but that sounds like a reasonable number. And, you know, a billion is still serious money, but it's compared to the overall take of the Canadian government, it's not much. So I don't think it's mostly uh, the lost tax revenues we should worry about. What you said about the little guy going up against the big global multinational company that's not paying taxes anywhere, I'm more worried about that. And there's way too much of that in canada again none of us want to pay taxes but the idea that if you go to your local bricks and mortar store i'm switching from income taxes to sales taxes but the ideas are the same mm-hmm. you go to your local bricks and mortar store and you're paying here in ontario you pay 13 percent. if you're in alberta it's only five but you're paying sales taxes whereas you know until this year you could very legitimately go online buy something um, abroad have it delivered one way or another and avoid taxes altogether and you know, that just puts bricks and mortar at a disadvantage and puts the little guy at a disadvantage relative to large corporations. And so this this problem exists in sales taxes around the world, but income taxes, too. I just want to see the, the level playing field. Little guy have a chance to get big. And then, you know, we'll we'll see what what opportunities to hide the cash uh, there are. But if we don't level the playing field, we're not going to see new businesses rise up and you know come up with new ideas, uh, be, be new job creators. Um, we're not going to have, the, uh, you know, the kind of the engine, of the growth engine
0: of growth from small business, uh, that we all hope we can get. So in the economics of this though, wouldn't it perpetuate the monopoly in this fashion? I mean, because we saw yesterday with Facebook and it's unrelated to the economics of it, but I mean, Facebook had a typo in their, in their geek typing and went down all around the world on multiple companies, multiple platforms, because it all went through one pipeline, but doesn't that translate that into money? monopoly control when you've got these companies like amazon that are killing the little guy and we wonder why this homogenization uh, takes place and that we can't get variety we can't get you know good deals on shipping um anyone in in business in canada myself included with my businesses will say the number one hog tie in canadian business is actually canada post we can't compete in shipping the way that um other countries can compete and other companies can compete so but do, doesn't this notion of this uneven playing field create that monopoly and, and just make it worse?
4: Well, look, you know, even five years ago, Shane, I probably would have disagreed. I would have said, you know, big tech are the biggest innovators maybe I've seen in my lifetime. You know, that they've changed everything. They've disrupted markets. Mm-hmm. They brought us new ways of, you know, enjoying our lives. And the government shouldn't stand in the way of that. But I, I think there is a change happening. I think that we are seeing, you know, them more and more not as innovators, but as as monopolies. Um, that um, you know, they still offer great services at very low prices compared to what what people experienced in the past. Um, you know, uh, um, you think of the music industry of Spotify and, and and what we used to pay for 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 music in uh, hard copy forms. Perfect example yeah. of uh, the great benefits that have come from these services. But I think more and more, uh, we're recognizing just how massive the profits are associated with those operations, how they're going to a very few around the world, and how those companies more and more are using their powers to stand in the way of new innovations. That's a real worry. And, and that's something that you know it's not just about taxes, but other, other ways in which we regulate the Facebooks and the Googles of the world. Um, but it's, it's something that governments, I think, will have to tackle over the next 10 years, make sure that that concentration of capital and of know-how how um, doesn't, um, you know, stand in the way of further progress and new businesses popping up in the future.
0: Yeah. There's an awful lot of conspiracies around, even in the car industry, right? That many independents were building more efficient engines years and years ago. And the big car companies would just gobble them up and suppress the technology because they didn't need it at the time. Right. And, and we would be in a completely different place. Now those are just conspiracies. They're out there. There's a lot of articles written on them, but it is a good example of when we look at the economics of being able to move money without consequence, um, here and now. Return on investment's a big deal. Is it an issue of it's just not worth the government to chase it at this point because it'll cost us more to t- try to figure it out than it would be for us than what we would get?
4: We well, were absolutely right. And it is tied into these tax havens and this, this tax avoidance. Google and Apple have these massive profits from their existing operations. Big question they face is, well, how do we bring it back home without paying taxes at home? And home in this case really means the United States. And a classic strategy has been just to buy new corporations, uh, to do exactly what you said, buy the startups, uh, bring them into the empire. And that's a, that's a way of delivering value for shareholders that doesn't uh, trigger a lot of taxes at home. So the tax system, I think, contributes to that concentration uh, within those companies. Um, and it's something um, you know, that we could address and the governments are trying to address. Um, if, if Google was paying fair taxes everywhere, and didn't have those incentives to build up the cash in the tax havens. I think it might um, level the playing field in in those other ways you're talking about too. Make it easier for startups to to kind of grow naturally. If we did that with cash,
0: around. if we oh, did with that. cash and bought houses though in other countries, we would call that money laundering, though, wouldn't we?
4: Well, the tax havens are used for money laundering. I don't know how easy that is in Canada today. Uh, more and more of the provinces are. Uh, trying to crack down on money laundering. Canada's been a bit slow compared to to other countries, but more and more when you buy property, you, you have to really show who you are in Canada. Um, so, you know, I don't think any Canadian is investing into a tax haven in order to um, uh, round trip, to, to bring the money back and, and buy property anonymously in Canada. I don't think that's a standard strategy, uh, but you're right. A big part of these classic tax havens is not tax evasion, It's money laundering. It's just hiding your identity and hiding the source of your cash. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, you know, I just think something we can all agree uh, we should shut down. And in this Pandora, you know, not every name that's in the Pandora papers is engaged in that kind of behavior by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we should welcome these kind of revelations. We should encourage governments just to just to get more transparency. Let's find out what's happening in the tax uh, tax havens. But let's find out what's happening here, too. Um, Let's Let's find out who the true owners of all these companies are who are buying up assets of various kinds. Um, let's get the government releasing that information to the public, something that they're very reluctant to do here in Canada. It's a basic transparency measure. Other countries are doing it. Why doesn't Canada do it too?
0: Well, and I, I would go as far as to say that sometimes buying a company and letting it die saves you more money than it was always the donald trump thing right oh donald trump he's gone broke so many times blah 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 his businesses well sometimes it's actually more beneficial to actually buy a company and let it die for the tax benefit than it is to support the company and as cold-hearted as that sounds i mean that can be a real thing so is that we often look at this uh michael we we sit here as normal everyday worker bees looking at this going, Oh, ethics, this is an ethical problem, but is it more of just a policy issue uh, of the way that money moves in Canada? Can we be better at it?
4: Yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, we can't rely on taxpayers to do the right thing. We have to have rules in place that are fair for everybody. And I'm not sure that we do in Canada right now. I think we make it too easy for the wealthy uh, to park their money offshore. um, And, um, and entirely legally gives them ways to reduce the, pack, the tax they pay in Canada on that offshore money. So even if they're not hiding it from the government, there's not there, there, there are important situations in which they just don't owe money in Canada because of how that that income is is piling up for them uh, in the offshore financial center. So that's just one example of how we can improve policy in Canada, make the system fairer, and remove these incentives. Because I mean, none of us benefit if wealthy Canadians want their money outside the country for tax reasons. So we could tighten up those rules. Like I said, as well, just transparency. I don't see anything wrong with, like, we don't all want our neighbors to know, you know, what our wealth is, what our, what our assets are. But when it comes to a corporation that's doing business, you know, buying assets uh, entering into contracts, we should all have a right to know who owns that business, who ultimately benefits uh, from those transactions and, um, and, uh, you know, why can't that information be public? The system right now, um, you know, the government asks, uh, you know, banks and real estate agents and so on to collect that information and then hang on to that information in case we come and ask for it later. Why not have a system where, like other countries do, where there's just a public registry? And if you're doing business with a company or you hear about a company, you can just look up its owners. You can find out where it does business and, and um, where it's headquartered. That would help us all have confidence in the system in Canada and it would at the same time make it easier to shut down money laundering. Why the government doesn't do it, I do not understand.
0: Well, it seems maybe it's too simple, Michael, but if, if Netflix and Google paid taxes in Canada on all of the services they provide, uh, it seems to me that that would be beneficial for Canada. So when you... um. Yeah, but they're doing business in Canada, even though it's non-tangible, electronic, digital, whatever, whatever. Um, so if you sit down with your economics buds, you know, real good nerd session, you know, how do you guys talk about this in a whole, like, you know, you, you guys are sitting down looking at these Pandora papers going, man, what, what do we do here? What, how do like professionals look at this? What do you guys talk about?
4: Well, we talk about what you and I are talking about, Shane. Um, there is some tax nerd economists, like me, who are really concerned about the revenue loss. Um, but there are a lot more who are concerned about the sign of widening wealth inequality around the world. This idea that there's a global elite. Um, We're earning more and more profits uh, off of these massive investments. Um, and the idea that the, these offshore financial centers are just facilitating a widening gap between rich and poor uh, around the world. And then the last thing that the tax nerds want to think about is, well, how should we tax corporations if there's um, a business that um, you know, does its uh, inventing processes in the United States, you know, somewhere in Silicon Valley, um, but then it sells to Canadians using products that they had built by a manufacturing facility in China, You know, it's just a very hard question. Who should get the tax from that? Should it be China? Should it be Canada? Should it be the United States as the the owners of that intellectual property? And so it's a very hard problem. You know, we don't we wouldn't want the same investment and the same income tax in all three of those countries. That would not be fair to Google or Apple, right? It's true. But we don't want to tax in none of them either. And it seems more and more that's what's happening. Um, You know, double or triple non taxation of investments. So um, one thing that the the tax nerds are trying to figure out right now is, you know, is there a better way of figuring out where the income really uh, belongs and where it should be taxed? So uh, world leaders, the OECD, and a lot of tax nerds like me spend a lot of time thinking about that now. What's an alternative system uh, that we could use? And, you know, it might require countries giving up some of their sovereignty. Right now, Canada gets to decide what is income of companies who operate in Canada, as you said. Um, and how much tax should be paid. But, you know, maybe that system works only for the companies and not for the countries anymore. Maybe Canada has to give up some of its rights to figure out how to tax the Googles and the Apples and the Canadian companies too, right, Um, to, you know, other countries or to a a world body. We might lose some freedom there, some sovereignty, uh, but the whole world might benefit if if we started to coordinate. You know, as a group of countries, we started to coordinate – we could crack down on tax havens, and we could crack down on the more aggressive forms of tax avoidance by these companies. Um, and the United States, under the Biden administration, is actually now taking the lead in that. We might see changes
0: over the next couple of years, I think. Chickens and gold sound really appealing some days, don't, doesn't it? Chickens and gold trading chickens. I'll give you three chickens for one piece of gold. And that's it. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't it does sound particularly appealing when we get into this global uh, economy thing. Well, now you
4: if uh, chickens are selling for gold, you're talking about inflation. And that's a whole other topic. (laughs) I'm gonna have to come back a different day. for that. I
0: will happily talk about inflation with you and all of these affordable things. I really appreciate the time, Michael. Thank you so much for being here. Great to talk to you.
2: Bye bye. This is the Shift Podcast. Dave Scott,
0: do we have you?
3: We got you. Can you hear? Oh,
0: us? there we go, buddy. We got you. We're having all kinds of trouble, tech trouble here on the program. Yeah. We, you know, Facebook yesterday. I think we, um, I think we've caught a bit of the Facebook itis. Something broke.
3: Maybe, maybe you know what? I had audio issues on my show yesterday, man. Maybe it's some of that Mercury retrograde crap that's out there.
0: You know what? I, I like the, uh, I like these segments that you've been doing about the astrological and the hippy dippy with that stuff. I've been following them on your, um, on your Twitter because I, I love these guests. And I, I gotta tell you, Dave, but I mean, we share an awful lot in our private conversations. I really, um, I really appreciate, um, sort of the depth that you're taking in some of these conversations with this sort of astrophysical, uh, astrological guests you've been putting on. I've thoroughly enjoyed it.
3: Well, I'm going to give credit because that is our weekend host on our YouTube and Twitch channel, uh, Lynn Wallington. She is the brains behind all of that. I just kind of tag along on a leash like a lost puppy with it. But, you know, like one of the things that we're supposed to be in right now is this Mercury retrograde thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if I'm a big believer in this, okay? I just It just doesn't suit my fancy a little bit. So what is... I find that funny coming from you, brother. I know. I know. (laughs) I'll talk Bigfoot all night long. I'll talk aliens, you know, ghosts, fairies, gnomes. But Mercury retrograde, I don't know. (laughs) Apparently it happens three times a year between the months of January, February, June, and July, September, and October, where basically all hell breaks loose. It screws everything up from technology to our lives. It's also a time for apparently channeling mental energy inward, reflecting, reassessing, and rethinking why we got into the crea- creation of radio. Now, huh. I don't know how that all works out for us, but a lot of people who are especially more spiritually inclined than yours truly and you they tend to believe that Mercury retrograde is actually something that people need to prepare for. And it's something that can affect everything. It, it's kind of like when we hear the stories of, you know, people going a little haywire on a full moon. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is what I'm equating it to. I could be completely wrong, but, I mean, hey, you wanted to get hippity-dippity, so that's what we are doing.
0: I like the hippity dippity. I do. Um, I don't know if I subscribe to it, but I very much appreciate the conversations around it. I guess I just like to write it off. It's kind of the way that I look at the aliens and the UFOs, right, is that I don't really have evidence that says it's not happening. And there are a bunch of people around me that truly study and believe it. Therefore, why should I shoot it down? I don't have to celebrate it, you know, when it comes to the moon and the alignment of the whatever, whatevers, but I can, I can appreciate it. And I had my buddy Paul O'Neill. He's been a radio guy in Calgary and Edmonton forever. Um, Paulie today was talking about, I'm just new to this, but I'm not sleeping. My hippy dippy friends tell me it's the, the Mercury retrograde and that it affects people. And then if you search Mercury, Mercury retrograde on any of the socials, you're going to find a long list of tweets and conversations about people that are, they're talking about it. It's a time to, I think it's a time to, you know, recreate yourself newly and do your meditation and all those things.
3: Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people abide by it, especially those who are very in tune with their own personal spiritual growth, whether it's connecting with, with their source or the universe or, or reading everything from tarot cards to tea leaves and, and every type of uh, esoteric reading that there is. And, you know, some people abide by it. They feel better over it. They prepare for it. You know, like some people will take holidays during Mercury retrograde so that way they don't have bad times at work or accidentally, you know, get hurt or fired or quit their job or have temper tantrums or hang up the phone or forget, forget to put their mute button on the radio microphone. So yeah. a lot of people. A lot of people are out there, they, they're paying attention to it. How much can you actually do it? I really don't know. Like I said, when it comes to Mercury retrograde, I'm not a firm believer in it. But I can say this, all right? Sometimes weird things happen at weird times. And a lot of those times, those weird things happen at Mercury retrograde. Example, yesterday, my board that I run my audio phone through, like we all have a, an audio board. It kept on echoing back. Kept on echoing back. Couldn't hear it yesterday. I run my show today. My board is working perfectly. So I think it hmm. just did it to piss me off saying, there's Mercury retrograde for you, Dave. Now take that one and shove it up your nose.
0: <laughs> your console is out to get you. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right. Um, I find it really fantastic that you study all these wild things and that mer- Mercury retrograde is sort of your line in the sand of all of it. Um, I love that though. That's the best part about uh, spaced out radio, uh, joining us here on the shift. Okay. You talk often about stories that you share in Canada. Who is running the, the UFO show, the UFO show? And, Let's start by asking you this question for people who haven't heard this segment before or in a long time. What is a uh, ufologist? Let's start there, and then we'll introduce the the Canadian from the article that you shared with me.
3: All right, a ufologist is somebody who studies the field of UFOs, or now the fancy term, unidentified aerial phenomena. What is happening? Where are the sightings happening? What kind of sightings are happening? How often is it happening? And they are taking the data from that and they are putting it into a lot of uh, compartmentalization on trying to find any sort of data pattern to see what is happening with these strange anomalies that are happening in the sky. And so that would probably, I mean, there's so many different definitions to it. I mean, it could be somebody who's chasing down black triangle craft. It could be somebody who is chasing down government records for UFO research. What is the government not talking about us? There's a lot of different avenues with a ufologist. It is a very blanketed term. Okay.
0: In Canada, one of the pieces that you've been digging into and working on is trying to find out where does the info go. Uh, the article that you shared with me doesn't go to anybody. I don't want to not call him special because... You know, I don't want someone to feel like they're not important. But it's not as, I don't know, military or high level of a person or career that you might think of. Where do we go?
3: Well, apparently the Canadian military used to have a UFO desk. And they allegedly shut down that UFO desk and were doing nothing with the files. So this this gentleman who is... Uh, named Chris Rutkowski out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Very smart man, very detail-oriented man. He works for the uh, University of Manitoba, where eventually all of his files were go going. He used to write sci-fi books. And for some reason, he somehow just threw it out there to the Canadian government and the Canadian Department of National Defense and said, hey, if you're not doing anything with those UFO files, send them to me. I want to look them over. So about 25 years ago, the Department of National Defense started sending Rutkowski all of these low-level UFO reports. Nothing top secret. He does not have security clearance or anything like that. And he has done nothing wrong. Zero. All he has done is compile Canada's research every year into where the UFO sightings are happening. But here's where it gets interesting, and we really have to Give credit to uh, a gentleman and a journalist, great journalist named Daniel Otis out of Toronto who writes for Vice magazine. And Daniel figured out something very strange. That a lot of the reports that Chris Rakowski are getting are reports that are being handed to him but no one else. Hmm. So there are a bunch of people in Canada from Grant gentlemen named Grant Cameron or Ryan Stacy or a number of others in Canada who have been looking into UFOs including members of the government who have put through freedom of information act requests to the Department of National Defense and have got declined on their request for UFO reports Now, when you file a Freedom of Information Act request, it costs you money. And when you get declined, you do not get your money back. Yet Mr. Rakowski is getting the reports. So the big question that many of us have right now is, why is Chris Rakowski getting the reports handed to him on a silver platter by the Department of National Defense, but when someone else in the field of ufology or even working within the Canadian government asks for some FOIA files on UFOs, the requests are sometimes denied. It does not make sense. And this is a real trouble because for many of us, like you stated, we have been trying to figure out what does Canada know And what is Canada doing with their UFO reports? We know we're not going to get anything top secret. Those things are going straight to NORAD and into the hands of the American government and a group called the Five Eyes, which is the United Kingdom, New Zealand, Australia, the United States, and Canada. And that's where the reports, the big-time reports are going. But even with some of the smaller reports, The Canadian military, along with the FOIA request and other departments, are denying requests for those reports. Yet some of those reports all end up on the desk of Chris Rakowski. So there's a lot of people wondering, why is Rakowski getting them when every other Canadian out there who wants to file a FOIA request, and anybody can at any time, is being denied? It does not make sense and it's ruffled a few feathers as we try to break open this topic in Canada.
0: Has this uh, Chris guy published any of it? I mean is he sharing it? Is it, yes. you know, how what's happening?
3: Every year he publishes the UFO report where he goes province to province to detail how many sightings went across Canada this year. Where are the hot spots? Usually the hot spots are are in British Columbia near Vancouver and the lower mainland in in and around Toronto and in and around Montreal and, and Quebec city. And that is mainly the reason why if you look at a map, obviously those are the most populous uh, uh, areas of Canada. But what he isn't doing is writing sci-fi books on these topics. He may be using them for information but he's not using the information for that. He is, and he's doing nothing wrong. Once again, Chris Wartowski does amazing work in providing the UFO files annually for the mainstream media to check out. Usually it ends up in the Globe and Mail or the National Post. But the big thing is, and the big argument is, why is nobody allowed, nobody else allowed to do it? And I shouldn't say that, Shane, People are allowed to do it, but the question is, why aren't they getting the information for it? So mm-hmm. that's, like, that's like somebody in Ottawa handing you fresh papers right off the prime minister's desk, but not giving it to any other media outlet. As a media person, you would love it, because you're the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the person who gets it. You're going to break the story. But when other people are asking for it, they're getting denied. And that's what's what? upsetting to a lot of people in the UFO field. And like I said, I talked to one person who works in Ottawa, who is one of my sources on this topic, and this person literally stated to me that he was right upset because a few of the files that he specifically requested for his boss, who is an MP, was denied by the DND. Hmm. And yet all he had to do was call up Chris Rotowski to see if he could get them. So in the end, why is Chris Warkowski being the man where everybody's got to go to when the government could just send everybody in Canada the report?
0: Or put it on a
3: website website or a mailing list where anybody can grab the information. It doesn't make sense.
0: well, Chris, so this, this guy, as you said, described Chris, he went and basically asked for the ability to do this. They gave it to him. Has anyone just gone and just asked for it? Which I would like to clarify, by the way, if I got inside scoop from the prime minister's desk, paper from his desk, let's be honest, it would probably just be a picture of the prime minister, but I felt like that was needed to be said. Um, or, so or, or I mean, he's do you just go ask? Yeah, right. Do you, uh, do you just go ask the guy and say, you know, do you want to CC me now or is it? There's just no red tape trail to follow.
3: Well, the big thing with Chris Rutowski is he'll tell you he's not a UFO guy. He loves the subject of UFOs, but he rarely does interviews. He doesn't like the, the state of ufology, tries to stay away from it as much as he can. He just loves the statistics of it all, which is great. We need that. We absolutely need that. Everybody has their niche and their role in ufology, and that is great. Okay, He compiles very sound numbers, and that's what we want to see. But this isn't on the fault of Rakowski. This is on the fault of everybody from NAV Canada to the Department of National Defense. And as the person I talked to in Ottawa wants to know, they, they feel that the, whoever the new Minister of National Defense is going to be needs to answer this question. And this may be the subject that actually blows this story open, finally, in Ottawa, where it could come out in the House of Commons and say, could you please explain why Mr. Rakowski, who is a UFO statistician, statistician, is getting all of these reports while other Canadians, including people in this party or parties, are being denied requests? Please explain that.
0: Well, there's a lot of questions to be asked that's for sure yes. um and um and love to see those stats i would like to see uh like a hot heat map of all the little dots i mean that would be you know if you look at a statistician versus somebody who might be a little bit more website program uh you know sort of educated or 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 hobbyist to uh, it'd be nice to see like a google map with hot spots of where people have seen these things so it does make you start to think that's really cool stuff dave scott it's great to hear your voice brother thank you so much always for brother. joining us here on the shift and uh, may the mercury retrograde uh bring you peace and all the namaste's that you need in your life
3: thank you for always bringing us across canada talking ufos my friend you take care love the ufos
0: you take care